Hi, welcome to Coast Hills Church Weekend Online Sermon by Pastor Chet Lowe. We invite you to attend our services on Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. Our address is 5 Pursuit, Alicia Viejo, California, 92656. We hope to see you soon, and God bless. Our scripture reading this morning will be found in our continuing study of John chapter 5. You'll see it on the screen behind me. It will begin in John chapter 5, verse 39. John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness of me. Yet, verse 40, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so, Father, we come before you this morning, and we're thankful for the life that you've given us in Christ. And I pray that as we go through a time of study, that you would minister your word your way in only the way that you can that you would give us life, here abundant life and eternal life. Would you grant unto us eternal life? For I know there's some moms who are praying for their kids, that they would know you. And I pray that with these scriptures, the truth would be heard and life would be given. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you have your seat? We're going to be in several areas of Scripture today. It's Exodus chapter 2, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and Luke chapter 1. Once again, you'll see the Scriptures behind me, Exodus chapter 2, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and Luke's gospel chapter 1. Our title today, The Scriptures Speak of Jesus. The scriptures speak of Jesus, and that's the point that Jesus is trying to prove in John's Gospel, chapter 5. Now, we're going to take a little break from our verse-by-verse study and talk a little bit about this topically, that the scriptures speak of Jesus. Um, So thankful for our worship band, um, and so thankful for our kids' choir today, and so grateful for our moms. Um, Yesterday, we had the privilege to have our worship band and myself go down to Camp Pendleton and minister to the recruits. Um, It was an unfathomable experience. There were 349 guys there, and all but 20 stood up to receive the Lord um, yesterday. (laughs) It was so great. So great. I said, hey, you know, if you feel your heart beating out of your chest, the Holy Spirit is trying to get a hold of you. Well, one of the recruits walked over, left his aisle, walked over to another guy, hit him in the chest and said, hey, you, stand up. He's talking to you. And the guy stood up and received the Lord. And the guy came up to me after and goes, I don't know how he knew, but the spirit, I don't know if the spirit, my heart is beating out of my chest. The guy walked over, hit me. I thought it was God, and I stood up. <laughs> So, hey, if you're here today and I come and tap you on the shoulder, it's Jesus. He wants you saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. The scriptures speak of Jesus. That's the point Jesus was trying to get across. Now, he's speaking about the Old Testament because that was the only written scripture of the time. And he says all scripture, 
everything written reveals me. Now, the Old Testament was written much different than it is today. It was written from Genesis to Zechariah. It wasn't put in categorical form. It was put in a form that was more historical and kind of fit all the pieces together for the Jews. We've changed it to this categorical form to better uh, go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then goes into the history. But all of the Pentateuch speaks of Jesus. All of the history speaks of Jesus. All of the poems and all of the songs. In fact, one year I went through the Psalms, and my goal through the Psalms that year was to find Jesus in every chapter, and I found him. He's there in every chapter of the book of Psalms. He's there in all of the prophets, and all of the scriptures speak about Jesus. They all point to Jesus. Everything in scripture points to Jesus. Everything in scripture points to some quality or character of Jesus. There's one character that we find, one figure that we find in the Old Testament that speaks of Jesus in a special way. It's mom. We see her all throughout Scripture. Turn with me and let's see this in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, let's take a look at our first mom that speaks of Jesus. Our first mom that speaks of Jesus right there in Exodus chapter 2. This is our first point. Maybe you want to write it down. It's the passion of mom, the passion of mom for her children to thrive. The passion of mom. We see this in Jesus. Look with me at Exodus chapter 2. Now a man. From the house of Levi, verse 1, when took as a wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now let me explain the times and why she would have to hide this child. Because usually when a child is born, we put a little stork in the ground. We let everyone know it's a boy. There's balloons. Maybe there's cigars. Watch your health. There's, there, there's food. There's celebration. We want everyone to know, boy or girl, God has given us a precious child. Why? Jacobed, the mother of Moses, would you hide this child? Well, these were different times. This was a time when the Egyptian pharaoh said that all the Jewish boys that were born had to die. This was just the t- time. This is just what was going on. And so she had to hide this child. But this is exactly what a mom does. A a mom is so passionate for her child to survive. A mom is so passionate for her child to thrive that she'll do anything for the child. That's what she does for Moses. She hides. I know when Andrea, when she was about to give birth, all of a sudden one of the bedrooms would become a baby room. And it would go from white to baby blue or powder pink or whatever color I had to paint it. And then there would be a baby bumper that would go around the crib and it had to be a right little bassinet and it was her mom's bassinet and her mom's mom's bassinet and then I had to paint it and prepare it because it had to be perfect for whatever baby would come out. And it was just being prepared because she was a mom and she wanted to do it exactly right. Until one day we were going on vacation. Now I give Andrea some grace And obviously, right now, I'll blame her, right? We had seven kids at the time. And we're all, no, we had six kids at the time. Six. We had a lot, okay? (laughs) Jonathan and Julie think they got issues. Come to my house for a little while, right? 
And we loaded up the Astro Van. Do you remember the big square Astro Vans? We loaded up the Astro Van and we were on the turnpike on our way to North Carolina. Then all of a sudden I heard from the front seat a scream and Andrea announces, you left Elia. I left Elia? And lo and behold, at six months old, we were on our vacation without our child. We had loaded up the rest of them. Give us a break. And I remember the drive home. We had to, you, you can't turn around on the turnpike, so we had to drive a few more miles. And the whole way home, she I can't believe it. What kind of mother am I? This was home alone on steroids happening in my car. And we get home. Andrea runs into the house, and there's Elliot, six months old. She had no idea. She's heard me told this story before, and then she came to me after service. You forgot me? Like, you, you didn't tell me about this story? Because it's the nature of a mom to have a passion for that child, not just to live, but to thrive. And Andrea was devastated because she's such an incredible mom. Not only did she hide, would you look at verse 3? When she, when she could hide him three, uh, excuse me, when she could hide him no longer, verse 3, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dubbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. No one's surprised by that. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? Stop there if you would. Jacobed, this mom, put Moses in the reeds. Let me tell you what she did. She set him up for success. She knew where Pharaoh's daughter would go take a bath. She knew the normal route that Pharaoh's daughter would take. She knew exactly where to place little Moses. She knew that Pharaoh's daughter would see this basket and open it because she had planned this whole thing because she's a mom. She has a passion to see her child thrive. And so she hid Moses in the reeds for this mom to find. Now let me tell you something about Jacobed. She was a mom, not a boat maker. She had no idea how to make a boat. She had no idea what to do to put this child in the Nile River and watch this child thrive and grow. But let me tell you about something about a mom. A mom will do anything for their child to thrive. My wife took college algebra four times. Four times. It was the fourth time that I looked at her and I said, Andrea, I'm not paying for this class any longer. You will pass this time. It's that woman that learned calculus when my son was going through it, teaching my son calculus who couldn't get through algebra. Because let me tell you something about a mom. They'll do anything for their child to survive and thrive. Let me tell you about a mom. 
A mom? Oh, a mom will do homeschool projects. A mom will do science projects. A mom will put baking soda in vinegar and have volcanoes explode. A mom will do anything to see that her child thrives and grows. In fact, Andrea, she was a dancer. She, she held the flag in, in college and, and high school, and she kind of did the whole, like, you know, this thing and this thing and did the flag like this thing, right? She wasn't like a ball player. She wasn't like a softball player. She didn't really wasn't into sports. She was a flag person. You know, she just flags. <laughs> and she was the captain of flags, okay? And I don't know if you know this about Andrea, but she was Miss Northeast High School. Two-page spread in her senior high yearbook. I know what I was trying to find. (laughs) She's an expert on soccer. Never played soccer a day in her life. But ask her about a position. Ask her about a game. Ask her about what the players are about to do. Because after 20 years of being the world's best soccer mom, right? She'll do anything. She'll drive anywhere. That's what moms do. That's just what they do. And I want you to see what happens with little Moses because Jochebed was so desperate for Moses to thrive. Would you look with me as we pick it up in verse 8? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Look how God is working out this whole story. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Jochebed, the mother of Moses, nursed him. Now this word nursed, weaned, trained, raised up, made strong, strengthened, nourished, encouraged. This word in the Hebrew means so much more than just physically fed this child. Because that's what moms do. From teaching them how to sit on the toilet, to brushing their teeth, to begging your 13-year-old boy, would you just please take a bath today? Just today. Let's do, let's start with once a week. Moms, you know what I'm talking about, right? The dads are like, what are you talking about? What I love about the training of a spiritual mom, spiritual mom doesn't go simply, hey, don't do this. No, spiritual mom. So the Bible says we should share with one another. You're not sharing. That means you're a heathen. (laughs) No, a spiritual mom. A spiritual mom looks at their child and raises them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's exactly what Jochebed is doing. Because Jochebed knows as she's weaning, strengthening, encouraging, and building Moses up. That this was a child of promise like each one of our children. And the responsibility is to cause them to thrive in a world that Moses was going to grow up. Much like the same world we're raising our children in. Jochebed, the passion of a mom. Secondly, I want you to look at another mom. Would you go with me to 1 Samuel? 1 Samuel chapter 1. I want you to see another mom. Her name is Hannah because she speaks of Jesus as well. And this mom, oh, this is the prayer of a mom. The prayer of a mom to grant success. You see, this mother, Hannah, she couldn't have children. She was married to a guy by the name of Elkanah. That was probably her first mistake. Who married another woman. And Elkanah... 
other wife had children, but Hannah had no children. But God was doing something in her, and God was raising up in her a quality. God was raising up in her a character that every mom needs, and this mom needed to pray. And the only way that this mom needed to pray was God was getting her attention. God was trying to communicate to her and withheld this child, making this mom a woman of prayer. Because every mom knows you need to be a prayer warrior to raise a child. Amen? That wasn't hardy enough. Amen? I heard the women that time. And God makes Hannah a prayer warrior. And I want you to see, look at me in verse 9, and Elkanah, her husband, excuse me, verse 8, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8, and Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Now look at what he says. Am I not more to you than ten sons? Guys, sometimes it's important just to be quiet. I mean, really, sometimes... don't talk. Just be there. I mean, he looks at her and he goes, look, aren't I more than, it's all about me, Hannah. I just want you to know, I just want you to know it's about me. Aren't I more than 10 sons? I mean, look at the specimen of man that I am. Look what I'm doing for you. And Hannah looks at her and goes, <gasps> she just weeps. I wonder how Elkanah felt. Gentlemen, what a great lesson for us. Sometimes with our wives, we just need to listen. Unfortunately, as men, we like to fix it. Well, just don't cry. Just don't cry. Like, let's go from A to B very quickly. Let's just not cry through the process. What can I do? You want me to fix the sink? Like, is that what you're crying about? (gasps) It's not the sink. Well, then what is it? You want me to do the bathroom? I mean, you want me to mop? You want me to clean? It's not the mop. I just want you to hold me. Okay. Gentlemen, learn from Elkanah. And after they'd eaten drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose, and Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the table of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Ladies, a great lesson for us that only the Lord can meet your needs, not your husband. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. In other words, she says, I'm going to commit him to God. He's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be a man that I'm just going to give to God. Just give me a child, and I'll give you him back. And as she continued, would you look with me, praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. And Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord. I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not Regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Here is Hannah in church. Now just imagine. She's in church, she's on her knees, and she's doing this. Oh Lord, I just, I just, I just, 
She's doing this. And Eli walks up to her and goes, now, most of us would see that and go, wow, she needs prayer. Not Eli. Eli, who was living a life of compromise, Eli, who was struggling with his own faith, he comes up to this praying woman and says, get out of here, you drunk. Okay, Eli, she's in church, she's crying, and you're calling her a drunk. That's a problem with the pastor, not with the woman that was praying. And Eli then is corrected, and he says, okay, let the Lord bless you, and God gives Hannah a child. This was a woman of prayer. God knew exactly what this woman needed. She needed to pray. And she calls and she beckons out to God, this woman of prayer, a praying mom. And moms, what do we do? What do you do? We pray for the safety of our children. We pray for the future of our children. We pray for the spouse of our children. Sometimes we just pray simply to survive the day. I heard a friend of mine say, The days are long, the years are short. My wife used to pray for survival. When we adopted our first child soldier, she used to sleep with the kitchen knives underneath the mattress in our bedroom. And every night when she would go to bed, she was like, she would get down on her knees and she would say, Jesus, I pray that today the knives would stay under my bed as I sleep. Sometimes you just pray for survival. Church, Hannah was a praying mom. And God blessed her with this child. And the Bible says, would you go with me all the way to verse 21? All the way to verse 21, she conceives, she bears a child. Now Elkanah, he's about to go back and worship in verse 21. The the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah didn't go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I'll bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. As soon as the child is weaned. Once again, let's think of this word. As soon as I invest into him, I know the world that he is going to. Eli is corrupt. Eli is compromising. And I've made a decision that I'm going to raise my child so that as I place this child into that world, Samuel will be prepared. When I was 13 years old, I went to my mom and I said, I want to be a missionary. At 13 years old, you know what she said to me? Go. And at 13 years old, she let me go to Korea, Hong Kong, and smuggle Bibles into China by myself. 14 years old, I went to my mom, I want to go again. She looked at me and she goes, go. I went to Africa for the first time. And all of her little Bible study group friends, you are nuts. You don't let your 13-year-old child smuggle Bibles into China. You just don't do that. That's just not what you do. But my mom had made a decision that Chet belonged to the Lord. And my mom was a praying mom. And through prayer, she had a peace that passed understanding that God was raising up her son, and she knew what her son would need in order to be the man that God was raising him to be. And I'm thankful that my mom made those decisions, even though everyone thought she was nuts, because we look at Hannah and we go, Hannah, how could you give your child to the Lord at eight or nine years old to be raised by someone corrupt and compromising? 
because she had a peace that passes understanding, much like every mom that raises their child and sends them off to public school or private school every day of the week. Sending them out into a world that it's not safe. What's going to happen and who's going to speak into their life and what teacher is going to say what and what student is going to hurt their feelings? What will my child be bullied? And there's a peace that passes understanding when we choose to be the kind of people that choose to pray because every mom wants success for their child and that's why every parent should be in prayer. That's who Hannah was. Now listen. All through Scripture, moms are held in such high esteem. And whether it was Jochebed, Moses' mom, or Hannah, Samuel's mom, who raised this incredible, mighty prophet, these moms in Jewish culture and tradition, they were so highly esteemed. So esteemed that David would write, that you, you knit me in my mother's womb. There I was fearfully and wonderfully made. It's Psalm 139. There in my mother's womb, you knit me. And the Jewish person looked at the mom as a miracle producer. Because somehow, someway, in God's great design, for the course of nine months, a great miracle would happen that no one could see. And a baby, a baby would be born. What, what, what high esteem this woman, this mom had. So much so, There's another position of a mom. We read it all through the scriptures. No, this is the position of a mom. It's our third point, the position of a mom. She was known as the Gabira. Now, maybe you've never heard that word before, but it's found all through the first and second Samuels, all through the first and second Kings, and all through the first and second Chronicles. She's known as the Gabira. Now, let me explain who the Gabira was. You see, this was the position of mom to provide counsel. So much so that the mother of the king was known as the Gabira. She was known as the queen mother. In 1 Kings, we find out she had a throne right next to the king. We also find out in 2 Chronicles that she provides counsel to the king. And when the king of Babylon came and took over Israel, the Bible says it was Jehoiachin and his mother who gave over the kingdom. There was a position of power. There was a position of prominence. And the king, who would maybe have many wives, he would only have one mother. And this was an official position amongst the Davidic kings. In fact, there's only three kings of which the Gabira is not mentioned Only three. And most scholars believe it's because the mother had passed away. And there was so much pain and so much heartache that they couldn't even write their mother's name down. Because when a mom goes, there's a pain in a child's heart that only that child of that mother can feel. See, these moms sitting right next to the king, some of them were good. Oh, some of them were great, like Uzziah's mom. Her name, listen, Jechaliah. I don't know, maybe you won't name your child little Jecko, but understand, this was an incredible woman. Her name was Jechaliah, and her name means Jehovah is able. And she raised little Uzziah, and little Uzziah, he ruled the kingdom for over 50 years of righteousness. So righteous was King Uzziah that when he died, the whole nation almost shut down. So depressed was Isaiah 
that in Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says, and the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. God knew exactly what Isaiah needed in order to encourage him because Uzziah was such a righteous king that all of Israel mourned so desperately. Who do you think invested this righteousness into him? The Gabira. The mother of the king who constantly was there for counsel, who was constantly there to guide him and was constantly there to petition him for requests to move in a direction that honored God. But there were bad Gabiras because some of us on Mother's Day don't have such great memories. There were some moms who didn't do so great. There was one mom, her name was Athalia. Athalia was a wicked mom. Let me give you who her parents were, Ahab and Jezebel. You know, you don't go to the nursery and hear anyone's little girl named Jezzy. And she was raised by this wicked couple. So wicked was she, her son Azariah, he only lasted a year. He made an unrighteous covenant with another king, and God wiped him out in just a year. But Athalia, oh, she thought, now is my chance. Now is my opportunity. And this mother and grandmother wiped out the entire royal line, her children and her grandchildren, so that she could sit on the throne. She killed them. Not such a great mom. But there was one child who would be stolen away by a spiritual mom. His name was Joash. And this spiritual mom would not allow Joash to be touched by Athalia and hid him for six years. And I need to let you know something, moms. There's a lot of kids here, both young and old, that need some spiritual moms because their moms weren't so great. Their moms just weren't there. And that's the beauty of the church. The beauty of the church is that we're all part of a family and that you can be a spiritual mom and that you can have that position to help guide and direct. That's exactly what this foster mom did to Joash. There's a final mom, and here's where we close. Go with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, this mom... Oh, this mom is the practice of a mom. This mom is Elizabeth. The practice of a mom that sets an example. Oh, number three was the position of a mom to provide counsel. The fourth, this mom, is the practice of a mom to set an example. Look with me at Luke chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Speaking of Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. What I love about this mom, there was no hope for her to have a child, and she chose to be faithful despite her circumstance. She chose to follow God and follow his commandments But then God would speak, and God would provide for Elizabeth a child. In her old age, she would give birth. Now, ladies, when my wife went into labor, 
I've never seen such pain and I've never seen my wife act so differently than when she was acting in labor. I, I remember when she was giving birth to one of our children, she kicked the doctor, like kicked him. And I looked at the doctor and I go, she's not usually like that. I, I, she's a spiritual, like she loves Jesus. Jesus loves me, this I know, you know. <laughs> I remember when I was like rubbing her and I was like, I was like hey, how are you doing? And she just looked at me, she's like, don't touch me. And I don't know, gentlemen, if, if you had some experience when your wife was giving birth. Now, listen, all through, my wife, it was, my wife didn't do medication. My wife didn't do epidural. She just did all natural everything. She just, I mean, she said, I'm going to Africa, and I'm going to have a child in Africa. I need to get how to learn how to do this. And she did all births, just doing her deal. Let me tell you, that is a woman, okay? I want to let you know. So there's nothing that I'm saying that is ridiculing in any sense because I would not have any idea what this is talking about. One time she was talking about she was having some birth labor, and I told her, well, I've had cramps too. <laughs> and she just looked at me and just laughed and walked away. Like, are you kidding me? And Elizabeth, at an old age in her 60s would give birth. Now, ladies, you did it when you were young. Imagine at 60, 65. Oof! Just imagine for just for a second. Giving birth at 60, 65 years old. I mean, they couldn't make an epidural that would have Andre give birth at 60, 65 years old. Let me tell you, let me explain something. Do you imagine the pain that this woman went through? And then she gave birth to John. Now remember our scripture. Our scripture was that all the scripture speaks of Jesus. And right here in Elizabeth, we see how she chose to be faithful in the same way that Jesus chose to be faithful. We see in Elizabeth the pain of giving birth, and we see in Jesus the pain of the cross. We see in Elizabeth the birth of a child, and we see in Jesus the firstborn amongst the dead. Would you look at the screen with me for just a moment? Because I need you to see how the scriptures speak. It's Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, there we go, verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, this is Jesus speaking. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen, as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Remember, the scriptures speak of Jesus, and all these moms speak of Jesus, and Jacobed's desire, her passion for Moses to thrive. Jesus would do anything for you to thrive. So much so that he died on a cross so that you could live. You remember Hannah? Oh, the prayer of Hannah that, that, that her child would be grant success as she put him into a corrupt world. Listen to the prayer of Jesus. He says in Matthew 23, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's praying for the very people that are going to kill him because he knows that he can grant them life. And he implores the church to pray for a lost world because it's only through salvation 
that human beings will find their greatest success. Jesus, just like the Gabira of the king, Jesus' position is that he's able to give you salvation. He's able. He holds that position. And like the Gabira, the queen mother would guide the king. Listen, he wants to guide you to truth. And like the Gabira who counsels the king, he wants to counsel you to truth. And like this queen mother, he's petitioning you even now, be saved. So mom, maybe what you need to do is what the soldier did yesterday. You hit him on the side and you said, look, I brought you to come to Jesus. And you come. Would you pray with me? Father, so thankful for your word that all of the scriptures speak of you. So thankful, Lord, that we can trust and depend on you, that we can find you in every, every word. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would grant us salvation today. In Jesus' name, amen.